every time I did a workshop with Planned Parenthood, they all, all of the clinicians said, you know, it's, it's those parents, those parents get in the way. They are a barrier to service. We need to keep them out of the way. Hey everybody. Welcome back to fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. And as we promised on Tuesday, we are back here for part two with our interview with Monica Klein from It Takes a Family. If you haven't listened to part one, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that first before you finish up on here with part two. But why don't we go ahead and pick up of our interview in progress? Here's our interview. I think I I came across, I was just reading a new book and... um the author was talking about going into churches and speaking. And one of the things he was talking about, and and he said, you know, what is it that you can take with you to heaven when you die? And, you know, he said, usually everybody comes back, well, you can't take anything with you. And he says, yeah, you're right. You can't take your car. You can't take your money. You can't take your house and all these things, these material things. He said, but the one thing you can take with you are your children train a child up in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I thought, oh my goodness, it's the children. Like we as Christians mm-hmm. and, and parents need to realize we, we, we are that, that bound, you know, that are protecting our kids. Like you said, you know, it is, what was that quote from Planned Parenthood? Tell me again. Parents are a barrier to service. Yeah. So that my one of my jobs as a consultant with them was communication skills, counseling skills, um, and and that's when they would have those conversations. Just about every time I did a workshop with Planned Parenthood, they all all of the clinicians said, you know, it's it's those parents. Those parents get in the way. They are a barrier to service. We need to keep them out of the way. Uh, and I just realized that I didn't answer your question about what was my last straw. So oh, yeah. I was um, had been asked to go train Planned Parenthood clinics in Corpus. Christie, Texas. And these were all the Planned Parenthoods of South Texas. And so, you know, probably 200 people or so um, nurses and other staff and clinic managers were at this conference. And it was my job to teach them about the key concepts for the Title X grant for that particular year. And that particular year, one of the key concepts was human trafficking and teaching them how to uh, identify a victim of human trafficking and what to do to help rescue them from that situation. Now, I knew over my years of having worked with Planned Parenthood, not a W-2 employee, but as a consultant and trainer with them, I had heard of the many stories of young girls having sex with adult men, minor girls having sex with adult men. Mm-hmm. Um, they also let me know that they were very supportive of, um, you know, back then we called them pimps. They were very supportive of pimps and their girls. And so, Planned Parenthood was very prideful, uh, proud of themselves that they would provide STD testing uh, to prostitutes. Um, They felt that that was good for them because if they didn't treat them for their diseases, then things would be worse off for them. Um, So they didn't report prostitution or the pimps. So they didn't report any of these things, statutory rape, they didn't report it. So here I am about to talk to them about human trafficking. I myself on my own time had gone to some human trafficking conferences. This was something very important to me. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to help them overcome these myths that they have been living in and working with. And they're going to, they're going to realize that these are actual victims of human trafficking and everything's going to get better. That's what Mm -hmm. I thought. Mm -hmm. And so I'm explaining to them that statutory rape was now a federal offense and that it was a case of human trafficking and that they were required to report that. And so I really thought now that they know it's human trafficking, boy, they're going to report it. Right. 
And uh, so they, their body language was, I could tell that they were dismissing what I was saying. So in my mind, I thought, oh, I know why. I learned that victims of human trafficking protect their traffickers. And I bet you that's why they're thinking that they're not victims because they're protecting their trafficker. So I explained the psychology behind being trafficked, the brainwashing, why they would protect their trafficker and what they could do to still rescue this girl from human trafficking. They again dismissed me. I finally gave up and I said, I don't get it. Why are you refusing to report cases of human trafficking? And one of the nurses raised her hand and she was one of the veteran nurses. She was older. And she said, honey, if she's not having sex with this man this month, she'll be with another one next month. And they all nodded their heads in agreement. And I said, these are little girls, they're mm. minor girls. And they're in, and they started to school me and say, no, these girls want this. Some of them went as far as saying these young girls want it. And, you know, and, and boys can be very selfish and inexperienced. And so perhaps they're happier having sex with older men. Maybe it's more satisfying to them. Comprehensive sex education has a twisted view on humanity, but more mm -hmm. than anything, they have a twisted view on our children mm -hmm. and they're not helping our children. Well, while I was just sitting here listening to you talk about the human trafficking and, and the brainwashing and the psychology of the human trafficking, and I'm sitting here thinking, wait a second, but this is exactly what comprehensive sex ed brainwashing is to right. our children who are in the public schools. You think it's not going to, I mean- we're just setting them up for failure and, and to get into Absolutely. these cycles and these wicked circles of people. That is exactly it. So mm -hmm. it is true that comprehensive sex education grooms children for sexual activity. Um, so even that first day that I was trained by the director of sex education at Planned Parenthood, she did tell me, she said, listen, they're not going to tell you what they're doing. And so it's important for you to help break down their inhibitions so they can accept this information and talk to you about it. And so one of the first activities was to have them list all the slang words for body parts and for sexual activities. And it was very graphic. I mean, she, it, it's an, it is literally an activity asking young children to think of crass slang terms that represent their body parts and sexual activity. And we would write them on either a whiteboard or an easel paper. And so you can imagine how pornographic that looked. Mm -hmm. And some of the kids would, you know, were a little hesitant. And then when they saw that the educator, the adult in the room was truly encouraging them to do this and that they were not going to get in trouble, they all started to participate. And the whole point of that activity was to get them used to speaking about sex in graphic ways to break down their inhibitions and to basically prepare them for the rest of the lessons, which we're talking about sex, how to have it, how to negotiate with your partner, basically how to eroticize the use of condoms so that they can be used and, and really just to be sexually active. So it is a grooming process. And it's, and if you were to look at how comprehensive sex education teaches children and compare that to how a sexual predator grooms a child. It is very, it's, it's practically identical. It is identical. Unbelievable. You know, it is that break down those inhibitions, gain their trust, start with something small, like, like slang terms, little images until you can get into more and more graphic detail. Um, it is a very dangerous form of education. Now, the reason it has been supported by the government is because it is also called risk reduction. 
Um, It basically is if you're involved in a in, in, in a high risk activity, uh, the, this, this is a secondary prevention intervention is to teach people how to reduce that activity. If you're going to continue in this activity that is high risk for disease or whatever it may be for your health, then we'll teach you how to reduce your risk. So for example, part of comprehensive sex education, when I did it was to talk to IV drug users on how to either don't share your needles or how to clean your needles. Mm-hmm. And that is risk reduction how to clean those needles, not to get them off of drugs, Mm -hmm. not to eliminate the risk and help them live a healthy life. It's like, is basically meet them where they're at and leaving them there with the hope that risk reduction will help them somehow. Comprehensive sex education is the same thing. They're not interested in teaching children to avoid sex. They're not, you know, they're not interested in talking to children who are sexually active and helping them to make the decision to not be sexually active and avoid risk. They want to teach them to be sexually active, to reduce their risk, quote unquote, really with condoms. And because they know that those condoms will fail, Mm -hmm. they still teach them that they have to get tested for STDs every three to six months and have abortions and then start that cycle all over again. Oh my word. So, I mean, yeah, it's a very dangerous form of education. Is abstinence ever taught? Uh, Well, I'll say yes, but it's not truly taught. What they say in comprehensive sex education, if they even still say it, Mm because this is what we said in the past, abstinence is the only 100% way to ensure that you do not get a disease or become pregnant or, you know, conceive a child. And so that was the teaching on abstinence. That was as far as it, that's as far as it went. <laughs> but if you decide to be sexually active, and so the rest of the class time is talking about comprehensive sex education. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So, so where do we, where do we go from here? What do we as parents do to combat this? And, and sort of what are, what are your thoughts on, on what we can and should be doing for ourselves, for our children as, you know, for parents, how should we be educating ourselves? Right. Well, I think that there's two things. Number one, first and foremost, parents need to start taking that leadership role with their own children. Uh, they need to start learning how, if if you don't already have a trusting and confident relationship with your child, the, the time begins now. And it can be very simple. It is just, you know, for me, it it was just really learning how to see your child as a unique individual. They're not your mini me. They have their own gifts, their own likes and dislikes and start to see that child. And so for parents, I tell them, okay, you know, think about the people that you really like in your life. Like what, what is it about your best friend that you really like? And a lot of times it's because your best friend is someone who sees you for who you are. Mm-hmm. They, they love that you're artistic or they love that you're whatever it is. They just love, they know you, they, they just know you. We love being around people who really, really know us. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what a child wants. They, they don't want mom and dad to look at them as though they're mom and dad's mini me necessarily, but do you see your child and their likes and their dislikes, their gifts, whatever it may be for my son, you know, I made sure at a young age that if he came home and he had a special pencil that his teacher gave him because he did something great at school and he, and that was a huge award to him. I made sure that I listened to how excited he was about that pencil, Mm -hmm. but I knew because I was teaching him with the future in mind. I knew that one day he would become a teenager 
And naturally he probably would not want to speak to me as much yeah. <laughs> at that point. <laughs> yeah. Teenagers kind of become, you know, withdraw a little bit, but I knew that if I could teach him that from a young age, that mom was consistently there celebrating with him, grieving with him, comforting him, celebrating with him, um, enjoying what he enjoyed, even if I didn't like it myself, you know, took interest in what he was interested in. Then I knew that by the time he was a teenager, he would know I can talk to mom. Mm -hmm. I know mom respects me, loves me, you know? And so those are the kind of things that we need to do with our children is, is see them as that unique individual and respect them for that. And that doesn't mean that you don't discipline and, and all of that. I'm just saying you have to have value for your child start learning. And, and, and I can help through, it takes a family more about how you can talk about these issues with your children. Mm -hmm. And so there is quite a bit of education, but here's the truth. You do not majority of the sex educators are not medical. Uh, you know, they don't have medical degrees. And as a matter of fact, right now, Planned Parenthood is training quote unquote peer educators. There are training children to teach other children about sex how to have it, how to use condoms and how to go get to STD testing, pregnancy testing and abortions. So obviously even they don't think that you have to be medically degreed to do this. Mom and dad, you have been given an amazing gift that you are a parent, you are the leader of your child and you have everything in you to be able to raise that child and talk to them about any subject. And only you will be the one that protects them the best. So that's step number one. Number two is pushing back on these schools. Mm -hmm. And it means you're going to have to be courageous because it also means as some of the moms have told me, they said, Monica, you need to let parents know that if they're going to push back, they need to be prepared to not be liked by their community mm -hmm. because you will have neighbors who may not agree with you. And they're going to be angry that you're not submitting to the LGBTQ culture or to the transgender movement. And I want to say something very specific about the transgender movement as well, is that they're not just teaching your child that gender is not absolute, that there is no male and female, but they're also leading them to genital mutilation to castration and to infertility. I mean, these are drastic things that we need to consider. Um, there is lots of research that shows that people who go through this kind of a transition regret it, mm -hmm. that their depression is even worse than it was before they had the surgeries. So this, this quote unquote, it's not really a transition. You cannot transition from one gender to another, but when you mutilate your body and take hormones, it does not resolve the gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And so it is not a solution. So we can still as Christians show great compassion to people who are struggling with these issues. Absolutely. But we are not called like comprehensive sex education taught me, meet them where they're at and leave them there with the hope of what condoms, disease, abortion, hormones, mm -hmm. genital mutilation. No, what God does and what he did for me and what he's done for anyone who has been saved is he meets us where we're at and he leads us into an abundant life. Mm -hmm. He helps us to change our lives so that we can Amen, have sister. peace. Um, and so that's really important. And we have to get with our legislators. Uh, we cannot mandate, we need to do whatever we need to do to not allow the mandate of sex education. And I'm not even a supporter of mandating sexual risk avoidance, which is what some people call abstinence. Because again, at least as a Christian and, and other families of faith, whether you know, you're know you Buddhist or whatever it may be, 
a sexual risk avoidance, any sex education program that's in your school, whether it's comprehensive sex education or sexual risk avoidance, it's, it's a very little about biology and so much more about character. And only a parent should have the right to teach their children about morals, their values, and character. And so even a sexual risk avoidance program, I'm not against it necessarily. If that's what you choose locally that you're, that you want for your school, that's totally up to you, but it does not meet, uh, it should not replace a parent. And so I'm really against any sex ed mandate. I actually believe that school should go back to just academics and take out social work, take out uh, social, emotional learning, take out sex education, take out character education, All of that belongs to the family because Amber, what this is really leading to these programs are wanting the complete institutionalization of our children. So they're, they're trying to replace parents is what it is. And Mm. and all you have to do is look at the programs. The CDC has a program called whole school, whole child, whole community. And when you look at their virtual school on their website, they have completely taken over the responsibilities of parents. They have mental health practitioners at the school. They have dentists at the school. They have a school-based health clinic. They have the general practitioner at the school. They're going to have family planning at the school. The only thing that was left out of this CDC program was basically a dormitory to to just keep the kids there. They want extended school hours. They want your children to be there earlier and leave in the evening. So that who is the one that's then teaching your child character and, and life skills, the state instead of the parent. That's and a so, lot to take so in. Anyone listening. Yeah. So anyone listening to this right now, be like, okay, she's going a little far. No, go to the CDC and look it up right now. It's called whole child, a whole school, whole child, whole community. It is out there for you to read for yourself. Um, And it's important that we begin to take back our responsibility to reclaim parenthood and raise our own children. And I'm telling you, our children want that. Mm -hmm. Our children are waiting for parents to lead. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole culture of people who don't want you to lead. Oh my gosh, Monica. Thank you so much so much for all of your knowledge and sharing it with the audience today. How can people find you? What what web address or social links do you have? Sure. Um, they can visit me on my website, ittakesafamily.org. They can also find me on Facebook, uh, It Takes a Family Inc. And, uh, or monicacline.com. Awesome. I know this is not going to be our last conversation. <laughs> awesome. Great. I'm glad. There, there is so much... And oh my goodness, thank you so much for your work and everything that you are doing. And we just appreciate you. We love you. We appreciate you. Well, all of us are really appreciate your podcast, the work that you and Mark are are doing. Um, I've, I've watched Inwood drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It it just, your, what your work is phenomenal and factual. Um, and, And so thank you guys for what you're doing and thank you for having me on your show. Well, that is all for this interview. We are excited to go and interview Monica in person here in a couple of weeks, actually in Texas, as we continue grabbing interviews for our documentary film, The Mind Polluters. If you would like to help us with this film project to help reach more people with the truth, please visit fearlessfeatures.org 
and you can find all things the mind polluters there at our ministry page be sure to tune in next week as we have another guest joining us on the show and if you guys have any questions or you just want to write in and leave us a note you can do that at mark and amber at fearlessfeatures.org we always love hearing from our listeners so we will talk to you guys again next week have a blessed day